Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I want to talk about this subject, peace in the storm. I want to ask you today if you're going through a storm, because chances are uh, all of you have been or are in a storm, but the question becomes, how do we deal with that storm? How do we find peace in the storm? What I want us to do today is in Mark chapter 6, and by the way, that's the second book in the New Testament. It'll be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the four Gospels, and so second book in the New Testament. And so Mark chapter 6, and I want us to uh, look at this story and see how the disciples found peace in the storm. Let me tell you a few things before we get there. I read an article this week in a Science Daily, and it talked about an interesting bird. I think I'm saying it right. It was a bird called the golden wing warbler. There it is, golden wing warbler. This little bird, which weighs less than two nickels, uh, uh, scientists were studying it, and they were trying to put geolocators on this bird to see, and there's bunches of them, uh, on a bunch of these birds to see if they could study the migratory patterns of a golden-winged warbler and this tiny bird. And so while they were out in East Tennessee, which is where these birds reside most of the time in the Cumberland Mountains, while they were out there, they were supposed to be there for a long time. And while they were out there, uh, they were tagging them with these geolocators, and all of a sudden, all of the golden-winged warblers flew away. And when they tagged enough of them, and they followed them over the next few days, and the golden-winged warblers flew five days and 900 miles. We're talking about a tiny bird that flew five days and covered 900 miles. And at first, scientists were baffled about why this golden-winged warbler all of a sudden left its normal migratory pattern and flew out of the way. But what happened the day after they flew away was a supercell thunderstorm moved into the East Tennessee region. And over that period of time, 84 tornadoes touched down. There were more than 35 confirmed deaths, and it devastated the East Tennessee Cumberland Mountain region. And here's what scientists believe. After studying what happened with the golden wing warbler, they believe that they have this internal infrasound frequency that alerts them that when a severe storm is coming, they up and fly away and they keep flying until that internal mechanism tells them you are safe from the storm. The golden wing warbler knew the storm was coming and they got out of the way. I read that story and I thought, what an amazing trait. Wouldn't you love to know that when a storm in your life is coming? Now, it'd be great physically, but I'm not talking about physically. We have the weathermen to watch who never get it right for us that we can see. But wouldn't it be great to have it just uh, in life? Because you, you know what a storm is. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking metaphorically that we call a storm in the Christian life. It's, it's when your health falls apart. 
It's when you're, you have a death in the family. It's when you have a family member gone astray. It's when you have teenage trouble or kid trouble. It's when you have trouble at your job. It's when your marriage is on the rocks. It's when financially things aren't going right. It's when you're in an accident or an injury or you have spiritual issues in your life, or maybe it's lostness in your family that you're worried about. Here's how I would define a storm. A storm is any situation in life that causes anxiety, worry, dread, fear, pain, or loss. Any situation in life, any circumstance in life that causes anxiety, worry, dread, fear, pain, and loss. Anxiety, worry, dread, fear, pain, and loss. And here's the deal, we, we can't run from it. Uh, we don't have an internal mechanism that tells us to fly away. And even if we did, we, we often could not fly away. So the question becomes for us, not how do I go around the storm, not do I have, go over the storm, but how do I go through the storm? When we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, how do we find peace in the storm? When our world is rocking, when our vision is blinded, when we are crippled with anxiety and crippled with fear, how do we find peace in the storm? In Mark chapter 6 is what the disciples had to learn, not to how to avoid the storm, but how to find peace in the storm. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in Mark chapter 6? We'll start at verse 44. I'm going to go back and pick up one verse out of the previous paragraph just to set the context. Mark 6 verse 44. And it's up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably easier just to look up here. Now, now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 51, then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in the sails beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the lows because their heart was hardened. Thank you, you may be seated. So here, here's where we are. Let me, I'm going to tell you four things about finding peace in the storm, but let me set the context. Jesus has just fed to 5,000. An amazing miracle. Probably it was more than 5,000, maybe two, three, four, five times that many more and more. And Jesus has sent the disciples on to their next destination. He has, he has sent them to the Sea of Galilee, and they are supposed to get in a boat, a boat that'd be about the size of the stage, much smaller than the stage probably, and go to the other side. And literally, Jesus has physically and metaphorically sent them into the valley while he has gone to the mountain. He has gone up, the Bible says, to the mountaintop to spend some time in prayer. His, his spiritual vitality maybe had been drained from the crowds that were pressing in on him. And so, meanwhile, down in the valley, the disciples are out, are in the middle of the Galilean Sea, and a storm has blown up. Now, the Sea of Galilee was known for these storms. It's 680 feet below sea level, has high mountains that go up the sides of it. If you're on a mountain, you can see the entire Sea of Galilee, but it's still an enormous, enormous sea. And so what happens is cold air comes in over the mountains and it swept down low into that sea level. And it would, the mixture of the cold and warm air at that, at that below sea level would cause violent storms just to break up 
a start up overnight. And they, we would call them squalls. And, and so such storms like that were very, very common on the, on the Galilee Sea, especially late at night. So the disciples have found themselves and they are in this boat and they are in this storm and, and it is a vicious storm. And the Bible says that Jesus sees them in the middle of the sea. That would have to be supernatural vision that he sees them. Then he starts walking on the water to meet them, not meet them at the boat, but to meet them on the other side. And it's the middle of the night and he's about to walk past the boat. And the Bible says, the disciples thought they had seen a ghost. And the Bible says they cried out. Now, I wish that was some kind of real spiritual manly term. But literally, the term basically means in the Greek that they screamed like little girls is what they did. And by the way, you would have too because picture this just for a second. They were in the sea, the middle of it. And a dude's walking on water and he's probably got a little glow around him because they thought he was a ghost and he wasn't affected by the storm and he was having a leisurely walk. For all I know, Jesus was skipping across the sea and it's the middle of the night. Yes, they were scared to death. But Jesus meets up with them, tells them not to be afraid and he got in the boat and he calmed the storm. The Bible ends with an interesting verse. It basically says, and they were so confused about life at that point. Like you've been there, right? You don't understand what God is doing in your life. You don't understand what's going on in your life. You don't understand what, what the Lord is doing in your life. And that's where the disciples were when Jesus climbed into that boat. But in the process of that simple story I just shared with you, there are some things that Jesus would say to us about finding peace in the storm. Can I give you four things today? Number one, I want you to know this. That is the storm is real. Mark 6, 48, the Bible says he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. And the disciples had sailed right at road, right in the middle of one of these famous uh, nighttime storms. But get this, the majority of the disciples were fishermen. They spent their lives on boats. They were in storms all of the time. And these men, generally storms do not bother them, but this one was different. This one was so different, because this story is in three of the gospels. This one was so different that this storm was about to sink their boat. These experienced fishermen, strong, manly men were scared because their boat was in this storm and it was about to go down. Can I tell you, it's one thing to be in the condo in Panama City and watching it storm over the ocean and talk about how beautiful that storm is over the ocean, right? You ever done that? You know, you're, 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 you're in the condo somewhere in Florida and, and, you're, and you're looking at the ocean and there's a big storm blowing up and you see the lightning and every now and then a boat might be a silhouette, you know, a big old boat out in the ocean in the lightning and you see the wind, you see the rain, you see the storm and you're sitting on your condo and you're like, man, isn't that pretty? Yeah, it's pretty when you're in the condo. It's not so pretty when you're in the boat, right? Like in the middle of it. Years ago, me and uh, I, uh, some friends of ours and our kids, we were out on a lake and me and the husband got up early in the morning and we went fishing. We went several miles out into the lake and it was beautiful weather. It was early in the morning. We left everybody else behind and we we're going to go fishing. We no more than got out to the spot and it was a beautiful day. And all of a sudden the heavens opened up and it was a torrential downpour. It was this day before cell phones, you know, and checking uh, radar. It was coming down. It was a thunderstorm with lightning. And so, man, it was not going to end. And so we turned around and we, we hit that boat about 50 miles an hour across the water all the way back. 
And you know what it's like if you've ever been in a boat in the rain, especially a heavy downpour, every raindrop's like a needle just slapping you in the face. And we got back to the cabin and we were worn out and we were exhausted and we were beat to death. And everybody in there was like, oh, look how pretty that storm is on the water. Well, yeah, but not so much out there. It's one thing to see a storm in somebody else's life. It's another thing to be in a storm in your life. And I don't know what you're going through today. I may not know what your storm is, but here's what I know. Whoever you are, it is very, very real. Here's what the Bible says, that the disciples were straining at rowing the boat. Now, that almost gives us the wrong imagery because the imagery is not them trying real hard. The imagery, that word straining means battered and tossed and tortured and in pain. In the middle of the storm, they are battered. In the middle of the storm, they are in pain. In the middle of the storm, they they are tortured. Listen, this storm is very real. And here's the point. Listen to me. I get it. But more importantly, God gets it. When you're in the storm, things are different. When you're in your storm, your life is battered. Your life is tortured. Your life is in pain. And I want to tell you, that is okay. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay because when it's your storm, the storm is so real. I think I told you this one other time, but about five years ago, I, I went to a, a just regular dentist appointment and he looked up in my mouth. He was cleaning my teeth. He looked up in my mouth and I had a, I had a lump in the top of my, uh, uh, my upper palate. It just, it felt like your thumb right there, a little bit smaller than that. And like, I thought everybody had one. I didn't know. I've never looked at Denny and said, Denny, can I see your upper palate? What do you got going on up there? I knew nobody had ever said. I just assumed no dentist had ever said anything. I just thought I was born with it. And Dennis said, hey, how long you've had that? And I said, "Uh, all my life, don't you have one? And he said, no, no, that's not good. He said, there's only two things that can be and both are bad. And so through the process of time, he sent me to an oral surgeon and the surgeon did a biopsy and said, it's not cancer, but it, it can be cancer. We need to get it out immediately. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was, I was at the, with the surgeon, and I said, these things are pretty common, right? And the surgeon went, uh, no, not really. And that didn't make me feel any better at all. And so he said, they took me, and they, and they were going to, a few days later, we went into surgery, and he's telling me, he said, hey, we're going we're gonna to have to cut basically your mouth out to get this tumor and they had x-rayed it was about the size of a golf ball when it came out and when it came out I had no upper palate it grows back I've got one now I didn't know it grew back but it grows back and uh, over months and he said but here's the deal when when we put you under we don't know how extensive it is if we have to cut here and here and here he said there's a really good chance you're going to wake up and not be able to speak or never be able to speak normally for the rest of your life and I said uh like I told you what I do for a living, right? Like, like mouth's important for me, you know. He said, I know, but we won't know. You won't know until you wake up. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the send-off I had. And my wife and I in those situations, we're kind of private. Like I didn't really want anybody there but her. And, and she's back in the room with me, and she takes my hand and very sweetly prays for me. And when she prayed for me, here's what I'd realized. I'd never been on that side of the prayer. I've always been on the other side of the prayer. Like I'm always holding somebody else's hand and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You got a good doctor. They're going to get you through. Let me say a prayer. Can I tell you this? 
I didn't like being on that side of the prayer. It's a lot more fun being on the other side of the prayer, going to the hospital, praying with you, and then going and get lunch somewhere afterwards. That is a lot more fun. And it just confirms what I've always said, that you know what the definition of major and minor surgery is, don't you? Minor surgery is what you're having done. Major surgery is what I'm having done. And I was having major surgery. And all of a sudden, when we prayed and I was on the wrong side of the prayer, the storm was very real. And I want to tell you, when that's you, it's natural to feel beat up. It's okay to be in pain. It's fine to be battered because the storm is real. And sometimes when, when we, especially if you're like me and that type A personality, want to control your life and everything to be in order, sometimes you just have to stop and say, hey, Lord, I don't know if you noticed, but the storm is really real in my life. Second thing God wants you to know, once you realize the storm is real, number two, he wants you to know this. Jesus sees you even when you can't see him. Jesus sees you even when you can't see him. Now, in verse 48, the Bible says, Jesus saw them straining at rowing. The disciples were in the middle of the storm rowing for their lives. Can I tell you this? It had to be Jesus supernaturally seeing them. There was no way Jesus could have seen them rowing it with natural eyes. They were way out in the middle of the sea. There was a storm blowing. It was dark. They couldn't see him, but supernaturally, God, Jesus could see them. And in the middle of the night, when the winds are blowing, when the rain is coming down in sheets and the waves are huge. Listen, the disciples, if they were looking, could probably see a few feet in front of their face or in front of their boat, and that was it, if they could see that much. They would be on that boat, and it would be rocking back and forth. When the Bible's talking about waves on the storm, it's not like Six Flags waves, you know, on the inner tube. It's like giant waves that would turn a boat of that size upside down, and it's going back and forth, and they're rowing, trying to struggle to keep that boat afloat, but it's rowing, and there's huge waves, and the wind is coming down. They've lost all bearing because there's no stars in the sky, and literally, they can't see the shore at all. Listen, there could be a barbecue going on shore. They won't see it. There could be a prayer meeting going on shore. Peter may have a birthday party waiting for him. They can't see any of that. The waves are high. The wind is fierce. The, the rain is heavy and the night is dark. And every now and then lightning would strike. And you know what they saw when the lightning struck? More waves, more rain, more utter darkness. Here's the truth. The disciples at that point could not see anything but their problem. They couldn't see anything but their storm. Now listen, when they looked to their left, what is that, port? I don't know. All they saw was a storm. When they looked in front, all they saw was a storm. When they looked to the right, all they saw was a storm. When they looked behind them, all they saw was a storm. All they could see was the storm they were in. All they could see was their problem. And listen, let me stop there and call time out and say, you've probably been there. You've probably been in a storm in your life. When you look forward, all you see is your problem. When you look left, all you see is your problem. When you look right, all you see is your problem. When you look behind you, listen, when you get up in the morning, problems on your mind. When you go to work during the day, the problems on your mind. When you go to bed at night, the problems on your mind. When you're on the phone, the problems on your mind. The storm is all you can see. And when we're in that situation, we feel like God is not near at all, that he's left us. And here's what the disciples didn't know. Jesus had never taken his eyes off them the whole time. 
He knew exactly what was going on, and he even had a plan to help. Now, I know you're here today, and you may feel alone, and all you can see is the storm, and you think God is nowhere near you, and God is not concerned, but take heart today. When you can't see him, he can still see you. If you've ever had children, even if you haven't, you're going to be familiar with the illustration that that when your kids are little and you want them to sleep through the night. Now, listen, if you're one of those parents, and I, I love you, I do, but if your kids went to bed at 7 o'clock at night, slept all night, slept till 7 in the next morning, I don't want to hear it. Don't come tell me afterwards. That I don't want to hear anything about it. We only had two years because we did not sleep. This is not a joke. We didn't sleep for 10 years. 10 years. Our kids were sick. We, had to, we have some horror stories. I'm sure you do too. Like we have horror stories with our kids. They were in the hospital multiple times, had all kinds of breathing issues. Doctors say you had to stay up and hold them at night and breathing treatments all night long. Like that was 10 years of our lives. We, we thought about having a third, but like I couldn't go five more years without sleep. I was almost dead then. And so our kids didn't sleep. And listen, uh, listen, we have two really, really good kids uh, today. And I mean, the kids are 30 and 20. Five, uh, 30 and 25, make sure I get that right. Almost 30 and, and 25, but, but like we have two really good kids, but it's not me. Like if, I'd, if you'd left my kids to me, they'd been serial killers. Like I would not have been, I'd not have been a good parent, but my wife was such a great parent and she read all the books on parenting and she attended all the seminars on parenting. My wife would read the book and she'd get Dr. Do- James Dobson's latest book and she would say, hey, to get them to sleep through the night, he says, go put them in the room and put them in the crib and turn away from the door and shut the door and just let them cry it out. Our kids never cry cried it out. They'd cry all night long. And so we'd go put them in the, in their crib. We'd go put them in their bed and we'd shut the door and we'd leave it about this far open. And we'd hear them begin to grab it. And when they were old enough to talk, you know, they were like, like 12 or 13 years old. They'd begin to scream, uh, mommy, daddy, mama. And they'd just get out the best they could. And they would, they would scream bloody murder. They'd scream to the top of their lungs. It'd go on forever. Until we got them out of the bed, put them in bed with us, and who cares? At some point, you just need sleep, right? At some point, you just need to sleep. But we'd stand there with the door cracked open, and we'd watch them the whole time. But we turned their crib kind of sideways so they, they couldn't see us, and they would cry, and they would cry, and they would cry. Do you know why? Because they thought we had abandoned them. They thought we had left them. And here's what they never knew is that those kids were never out of our sight. We were just standing around the corner watching them the whole time. And can I tell you this, that no matter what you're going through in life, hear me this morning, you are never out of his sight. Whatever storm you're going through, I know all you can see is the storm and all you can see are the waves and all you can see is the darkness and all you can see is the rain. All you can feel is the pain and all you can feel is the loss and all you can feel is the hurt. But I want to tell you, never fear. Jesus is always near. And he has you in his sights and he still has a plan for your life. And he can do things with that storm you can't imagine. And when you can't see him, hear me, he still sees you. Third thing I want you to know is this. I'm going to hit it in two minutes and I'm done. Number three, do all you can and cry out to Jesus. You say, preacher, I'm in the middle of this storm. What should I do? Here it is. Do all you can and cry out to Jesus. Sometimes we hear statements like this. 
We hear statements like this, let go and let God. Can I tell you this? I, I have two degrees, one in pastoral ministries, one in leadership, and I had a lot of theology through both those. I have no idea what let go and let God means. I have no idea. None. Makes no sense to me. I can't even find it in the Bible. I don't even know what people are saying. We've heard that all our Christian life. Let go and let God. I don't know what I'm letting go of, and I don't know what I'm going to let God do. I don't think I can stop God from doing anything, as best I can tell. So God, I don't think he needs my permission. I don't know what that means. I think we've interpreted it to mean just give up and hope God rescues you. But the disciples were taking the right approach. You know what the disciples were doing? They were straining to row the boat and crying out. They were working to row the boat and crying out. If we'd, a lot of today's Christians have been the disciples, we would have thrown the oars overboard and said, Jesus, rescue me or I die. And you would have drowned. Because whatever storm of life you are in, do all you can and cry to Jesus. What do you mean? That's what the disciples are doing. You say, what do you mean? Listen, your marriage is in trouble. Then work on being the best husband you can be, the best wife you can be, the best marriage you can have, and cry out to Jesus. Your health is bad? Listen, go to the doctor and cry out to Jesus. Your finances are bad? Then work hard and spend well and cry out to Jesus. Your kids or your family's a mess? Get help and cry out to Jesus. Spiritually, you're in bad shape. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, obey God and cry out to Jesus. Row the boat and cry out to Jesus. Sometimes we are waiting on a rescue without rowing and that's never the right thing to do. Do all you can and cry out to Jesus. Let me show you the fourth thing, I'm finished. First, he'll calm you. Then he'll calm the storm. First he'll calm you, then he'll calm the storm. The disciples are rowing this boat furiously and they want immediate help. Can I get an amen? When you're in a storm, you want help immediately. Amen? Amen. Here's the order of events. So if I'm God, here, here's the way I would do the order of events, right? Jesus is on the shore, so here's what I want to happen. Jesus calmed the storm walk to the boat, shine a little light on the boat, and then let's have a party, right? Calm the storm, walk to the boat, shine a light, have a party. Calm the storm, walk to the boat, shine a light, have a party. Now, under extreme duress, I would accept this. Walk to the boat, calm the storm, shine the light, have a party. Walk to the boat, calm the storm, shine the light, have a party. Either way, I want the storm calmed first. Can I get an amen right there? It's not what Jesus did. Jesus walked to them. He calmed them. He got into the boat, and then he calmed the storm. He walked to the boat in the middle of the storm. Could calm it at any time, but he walked to the boat in the middle of the storm. He calmed them. He got in the boat, and he calmed the storm. Can I tell you some news that you're not going to love this morning, but God is not always going to calm the storm. It's usually the last thing he does. But he does always want to calm you. There's three things he said to the disciples that I think we need to hear. Number one, he said this. He's bigger than the storm. Here's what he said to the disciples. The first thing he said was, have courage. Well, 
Why can we have courage? Here's what Jesus was saying to them. You're going to have courage today because even though this storm's going on, hey, I'm walking in it. It's fine for me. I'm not even getting wet. I'm dodging raindrops and no problem at all. Why? Because the God you serve is bigger than the storm you're in. The God you serve is bigger than the storm you're in. He is bigger than the storm. And whatever you're going through in life, listen to me, the God you serve is bigger than the storm you're in. The second thing he wants to tell you is this. He's with you the whole way. It is I. Jesus, before, he's not even calling the storm yet. Jesus wanted to know that, listen, even when you're in this storm, I can see you. Even when you're in this storm, I have not abandoned you. It reminds me of Hebrews 13, 5, right? Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. I will never leave you or abandon you. In the midst of hard times, the presence of the Lord is always there to comfort. It's always there to guide. It's always there to steer us through the storm. And the third thing he told the disciples we need to hear is this. When he comes, he brings peace. Don't be afraid. Then in the midst of the storm, the Lord is with you to cast out fear, calm anxiety, and to bring peace in the midst of the chaos. Listen, I'm sorry to say he may not always calm the storm, but he always wants to calm you. That's why he calmed them before he tackled the storm. So we would know Jesus is Lord even of the storm. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. Maybe today instead of looking for God to calm the storm, maybe it's time to ask God to calm us. Maybe today the prayer needs to be, Lord, calm me, even if you don't calm the storm. I don't know how many of you read, uh, um, read books on your iPad or read books on your Kindle or even on your phone, some digital device. But when you buy a book from Amazon and you read it digitally and you highlight it, Amazon keeps track of all the highlights. I love that. So when I go to buy a book... Uh, say on leadership that I'm going to read, I get to see what the th other things other people have highlighted, the most highlighted things. It's really interesting to see what, what, what the book is saying to other people, and I can highlight it. So Amazon tracks all of that. Well, one of the books they sell is our digital Bibles. And so Amazon tracks the most highlighted verses in digital Bibles. And I would assume that if you were asking me, the most highlighted verse might be John 3.16. Or really Psalm 23, if I were guessing or maybe something on the Sermon on the Mount. But Amazon released it. And here was the most highlighted verse in the Bible. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God of God. Do you know what we're desperately searching for in the world? Do you know what we're desperately searching for in Christianity, in this church? The peace of God. Storms are real. And sometimes in the storm, you can't see Jesus, but he can see you. Row your boat and know that God, with all of his heart, wants to bring peace into your life. Maybe calm the storm, maybe not. Sometimes he just wants to show you he's bigger than the storm. And he can bring peace in your life 
no matter what's going on. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody looking around, our staff is here down front. If you would like to join our church, be baptized, or even talk more about becoming a Christian, our staff is here at the front. They'd love to answer any of those questions for you, how you can join the church, how you can be baptized, or how you become a Christian. Every week, we have people join the church or get saved or come for baptism. It's, it's all the time, and they're here to answer those questions. And so when Josh sings in just a moment, maybe you want to slip out from where you are, walk down the aisle, and grab a staff member at Rossville, just walk down the aisle and talk to the staff that's there at front. But I wonder... If I can talk to Christians for just a moment, let's be honest. No matter where you are in this building, no matter where you are at Rossville, how many of you just admit, be honest enough and admit it, God, I am in the midst of a major storm in my life right now. And I just want to admit the storm is very real. If that's you, if you'd say, preacher, I'm in the middle of a big old storm in my life. Would you raise your hand and hold it up just for a second all across the building? Yeah, just hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hands, hands all over the place. I wonder how many of you this morning need to come and, and just find a place to kneel at the altar and say, dear Lord, man, this storm is beating me up, Lord. This storm is causing a lot of pain in my life. This, this storm is Almost like torture. That was one of the definitions of the word. Lord, this storm, this storm feels like it's winning, and I don't see you anywhere in my life. And God, if you see me, would you let me know? God, if you're not going to calm the storm, my prayer is, God, calm the storm. But if you're not going to calm the storm, God, can you do a work in my heart and life and calm me today? There are dozens and dozens of us that need to find our way to the altar this morning and just say, God... Calm me. Father, I pray this morning that you would draw us with your spirit as you've spoken to us through your word. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, pvine.org. Thanks for listening.